0: Praise the Lord. I love that song, the words of that song, which says broken hearts are mended, troubles vanish in the presence of the King. We are so, so blessed that we can come into his presence, that we can experience his presence, and we can receive all the healing that he has for us. Praise the Lord. I'd just like to pray and ask God for his help in this message tonight. Lord Heavenly Father, we're so privileged, Lord, to be in your house tonight, God, to feel your presence, Lord, to be gathered together to worship you in liberty and in freedom, Lord. We thank you, God, that we can come to this place and worship you, Lord. I thank you, God, for your word and the truth, Lord. And I ask you, please, to help me, God, as I minister this word tonight, Lord, Bless our hearts, Lord, I pray. Speak into our lives, I ask you, Lord. And it is a great privilege, Lord, to minister to your word. Help me, I ask, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be speaking a lot about altars tonight. So, um, to start off with, the first time altar is mentioned in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and twenty one which reads And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. twenty one and the Lord smelled a sweet savour, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imaginations of man the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living sorry everything living seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. The Bible says there that the the um, a sweet savor from the sacrifice came up to the Lord, he was pleased with those offerings that were offered up to him. this altar was and is the only place where God met with man and man met with God. It was also a place of sacrifice, surrender, consecration, worship, and reverence. An altar is also a place of blessing. This is still how it is in modern day and age. Most churches have in their building a raised platform or a table or a structure of sorts, which is the designated altar, we as individuals no longer build structural altars as is found in the Bible, but the purpose of an altar remains the same today and we are thankful to God that we do still have that personal meeting place with him. I give two examples of altars in the Old Testament where God met with man. The first is that of Abraham on Mount Moriah. This extreme sacrifice God asked of Abraham was that of his son Isaac. Abraham was in complete submission and obedience to God and step by step did exactly as God instructed him. As Abraham raised his weapon to slay Isaac, God stopped him and provided a ram to sacrifice. The second example is that of Elijah's dramatic altar on Mount Carmel where Elijah challenged the worshippers of Baal. The Baal worshippers could not get any response from their gods, despite their frantic pleading and imploring. But upon the altar, Elijah built, God sent fire which licked up all the water and consumed the sacrifice. In awe and amazement, the Baal worshippers fell to their knees and proclaimed, The Lord, He is God. Revival broke out. And God brought rain to Israel after a long drought. Altars are very important. You can see from these examples. And God is pleased with the sacrifices that are brought to him. There are many other examples in the Bible where altars were built. But here I speak of only a few. Firstly, I refer to Noah, which, as mentioned in the beginning of this message, is the first record of an altar being built unto God. Noah built an altar on dry ground after the flood and there he made sacrifices of burnt offerings. Noah had come through a lot of difficulty, hardship, uncertainty and the perils of a worldwide flood. In preparation for the flood to come, he had been instructed by God to build an ark which of course was the first sailing vessel of any kind. The only point of reference Noah had on the exact details to build the ark were directly from God. He preached to the populace, he loaded animals into the ark and ensured that there was food for them all. He experienced rain for the first time ever on the earth and not only rain but a flood which covered the whole earth. We can get a detailed picture of the situation shown often in children's books where we see the rain is pelting down There are floodwaters where there was once land and an ark sailing on and through the waves of these flooded waters. That was a grim picture of how the world looked at that time. But when it was all over, the rain stopped, the flood subsided, and there was dry land once again. The first thing Noah did before attending to any of the other many things he needed to do He built an altar altar unto the Lord. Noah put God first. He offered burnt offerings of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and the Lord smelled a sweet savour as these sacrifices were made. God was pleased with Noah's sacrifice. As we continue in the life of Noah, after the flood, we see that Noah got into all kinds of trouble and sinfulness because of his humanity which illustrates to me that there is always an ongoing need for an altar. I find it astounding that Noah, after he had experienced a God-given enormous massive miracle, could still find himself weak in the flesh. Not only Noah, but each and every one of us have, have and struggle with the enemy of our flesh. But as the Bible explains in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 7 and 13. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And mortify is a strong word. Which means subdue by self-denial. And then there is more on this subject, as written by Paul in Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three, four, and five, it says: For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to be careful and beware of the thoughts we entertain, because some of these can be very, very dangerous and influence our actions. We find more scripture on the struggle with our flesh, as in James 1, 13 to 15. Let no man say he is tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when love has concealed sorry, say that again, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The New King James Version says when desire has conceived. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. As long as we are in the flesh, and we will be until either we die and pass away, or Jesus comes back for his church, the war between the flesh and the spirit rages on, (coughs) and we will always need an altar. When we surrender areas of our lives to God, we are in effect laying those areas on the altar before him. The second example of an altar is that of Abraham. During his journey looking for the land God promised to show him, he came to Sichem in the land of Canaan. And here God appeared unto him and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And right there and then Abraham built an altar unto the Lord. There's no mention of animal sacrifice, but I therefore suggest This would be an altar of faith and obedience because it's referred to in Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. The place where he set up his altar is a sacred place because this is where he would be meeting and communing with God, excluding all else. The third example I would like to give is that of Moses. References made here to the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. During their travels, they came against the Amalekites, and a battle ensued in Rephidim. Moses told Joshua to choose men to fight against the Amalekites, and during this battle, Moses would stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in his hand. When his hands were up, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. Well, the battle, as the battle continued, Moses became very tired of holding up his hands all the time. So this beautiful story, Aaron and Hur went to help Moses. They picked a stone for Moses to sit on, and Aaron and Hur, one on each side, held up the arms of Moses, and the conclusion was that Israel prevailed, and the Amalekites were defeated, and God was pleased with their victory. Exodus 17 verse 14 and 15 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly pour out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And verse 15 says, And Moses built an altar, and he called the name of it Jehovah-Nissi. As we all know, Jehovah-Nissi means the Lord is my banner. And the purpose of the altar was to reverence God, who made the victory possible, and acknowledge that there is victory in God. In this account, we see that Moses depended on God the entire time the battle raged, when it was all over and the battle completely won, he demonstrated his awe, reverence, and thanksgiving in this building, an altar unto God. In the times that we live in now, we do not go out searching for stones on earth or any other materials required to build an altar. But the purpose of an altar still exists today and it is a sacred place for sacrifices and for gifts offered up to God. When God introduced to the nation of Israel the necessity of shedding of blood for the remission of sins, the ritual was that the sacrificial animal was brought to the high priest who placed the animal on the brazen altar where it was sacrificed. Then the blood of the sacrifice was taken by the high priest into the Holy of Holies, which he placed on the mercy seat. And this was where God would receive and accept or reject the sacrifice. God showed his acceptance by a bright light being the glory of God. This took place once per year on the Day of Atonement. So for Israel, it meant that for one year their sins were forgiven. Year after year, the same procedure was repeated. The forgiveness I don't know, the forgiveness of sin is a big deal. God's mercy he has mercy upon us, and he forgives us for those sins. He forgives us for the wrong the wrong and we read there when and when the high priest took their blood into the holy of holies. He put it on the mercy seat and and God received that sacrifice and he gives us his mercy to overcome. He gives us his mercy in all situations and needs that we have. The price paid for us to have our sins forgiven and for us to be cleansed is enormous. And furthermore, it will always be God's way. Our way is to submit to God's way and we will be saved. If we submit to God and his ways, we will be saved. This way of sacrifice for sins continued until Jesus Christ came, and by his crucifixion, he became the sacrifice for our sins, not only for the sins of Israel, but for everyone, all nations. Jesus also became our high priest, where he presented his shed blood on the heavenly holy of holies. And the best way I can convey this is by quoting the scripture, Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The price for them to be forgiven is enormous. On an altar, as we know, is the place of sacrifice and separation unto God. It is a place of giving of ourselves. Also, it is a time and a place where we may decrease allowing God to increase in our lives and in our situations that we may gain spiritual strength. An altar, too, would be a memorial as to where and when God met with us. We may not always be in a place where there is a physical altar, so to speak, but knowing that the purpose of the altar is for sacrifice wherever we are. For example, even in our own private prayer times, we can reach out to God in submission and sacrifice. We do feel the presence and power of God at the at the altar in church and we can feel the presence and power of God in our own private prayer times. When we surrender areas of our lives to God, we are in effect laying those areas on the altar before God. This is a death. We can even ask the Lord to reveal What areas of our lives he's requiring us to offer and surrender to him. And we can symbolically lay that down on the altar and let it go. I think it was mentioned in church this morning that sometimes um, we don't even know things that we need to surrender to God. That we've got in our lives that are there and they're causing perhaps a bit of an obstruction or hindering our walk with the Lord, hindering our victory with the Lord. Amen. But God knows those things, and we can ask Him what they are, and He can help us to, to understand what they are and to surrender them to Him. In church, when we come to the altar to reach out to God, although there are many of us gathered around the altar, all praying at the same time, Yet each of us is having their own private and personal time with God. Also, God hears each and every one of us as we bring our needs and requests. Each of us is reaching out to God for his help, his direction, and his involvement in our situation and our lives as a whole. We may be carrying heavy burdens, which we know only God is able to alleviate the weight and complexities which we are experiencing. We come to God who knows what our needs are even before we pray. We come to God who knows the end from the beginning and to God who we know answers prayers. We may be struggling with personality traits that may hinder us or habits which we want to surrender to God. Whatever burdens, difficulties, heavy or light weights we carry, that can be cast upon the Lord. As Psalm 55 and 22 says and encourages us to do, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden unto the Lord. When I began to pray for direction and leading to prepare this message, one word came to me. And that word was regrets. I didn't feel in any way capable of speaking on this subject. But I had to continue, which is what I have done. And actually, the title of this message is regrets. I felt to say that that is one of the weights we carry with us, regret. Let us take the meaning of the word egret, E-G-R-E-T, An egret is a bird which has wings and can take off and fly away into the open skies. But if you add an R in front of the word egret, you get regret. And that certainly does not easily take off and fly away. Regret is something we may live with year after year after year. A definition I found says that regret is a negative cognitive or emotional state that involves blaming ourselves for a bad outcome, feeling a sense of loss or sorrow as to what might have been, or desiring that we could undo a previous choice we had made. Regret is a self-focused negative emotion about the outcome of a circumstance which has taken place, which we have caused, been involved in, or been inflicted upon us. Also, regret often includes self-brain because we castigate ourselves over and over for our failing and that we would have far preferred to have acted or spoken in a different way. Also, we often suffer the consequence of the outcome of the incident or incidents that have taken place. Regret can significantly hinder our state of mind, our well-being, And our state of happiness because it is often accompanied by other negative emotions such as guilt, disappointment, self blame frustration, shame, sadness and remorse. That is a weight. Regret, I believe, can be a weight in our lives. There is also the feeling of helplessness. It can even go to the extent that some may regret the way they have spent their whole lives. Regret lives on in our minds and in our emotions, where it may be deep-seated or it may be close to the surface. We may be getting on with our daily tasks, etc., in that we could be praying, we could be laughing, having interaction with others, we could be out on a picnic, walking the dog, reading a book, doing the shopping, but regrets can persist in our minds, stealing our victory and our peace. As far as spiritual warfare is concerned, regrets are thoughts or imaginations which can be cast down and brought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Let's not forget the earlier scripture in Psalm 55 and 22 where it says, cast thy burdens unto the Lord. We have a habit of casting our burdens unto the Lord and giving him everything and really meeting with God in a a serious place. And then when we leave that place of prayer, we pick up all those things that we've given to the Lord and we take them back to us with our seats and the turmoil goes on and on and on. Cast your burdens unto the Lord. We have to learn to leave them there with the Lord. He knows how to deal with them. Would you know how to deal with uh, with, um, regrets? Would you know how to deal with them? But God knows exactly how to deal with them. He knows the root. He knows the substance. And he knows exactly how to deal with them. And when we were on on, um, New Year's Eve, when we prayed for healing, the Lord says we must raise our hands and we have faith in him. He will heal us. It's his, his will to heal us. And we need to practice that too when we cast our burdens on the Lord. We all need that help, is to have faith in God. I've given it to you, God. I'm walking away from that. And when you're walking back to your seat and you feel that heaven is coming back, sing a word of praise to the Lord, Give Him thanks. Try and turn that away from receiving it again and carrying it on and on and on. We feel terrible because we go in a cycle over and over and over again. Lord, I've brought this to you. 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, and I've still got it, and I'm still suffering with it. Why? Because I haven't let it go. I have held on to it, and I've carried it with me, and the burden is huge, and it's intolerable, and I cannot bear it, and I dislike it, and it's wearing me down, but I keep carrying it. Oh, but when I go on Sunday, I'm going to go, and I'm going to ask the Lord to help me, and that I do. I come on Sunday, the altars are open. Thank God for the altars that we've got to come and pray. And our ministers and our leaders that will pray for us. I come and I say, Lord, I'm bringing this to you. I've got regrets. I regret this, 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 this. I'm bringing it to you. Please deliver me from it. Please heal me. Please help me to get over whatever our prayer is. And the Lord says, yes, Sheila, I hear you. I will help you. I know how to get rid of it. I know what to do with that. Consider consider that it is done. So then I get up from my altar and pray, and I'm glad that I've, I've said it to the Lord. And then out and go again, and it's still there with me. Because I haven't had the faith to allow God to believe that God has heard me, to believe that God is dealing with me, to believe that God is dealing with the situation. We need to believe that. And and nothing, it doesn't, everything is not immediate. That's what we need to understand as well. We get bogged down sometimes by expecting miracles, immediate miracles, miracles that happen there and then. But it doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes it's gradual. And you know what? There may be other things that we are not aware of that God has to move and sets aside and break down in order for him to get to that thing that we're confessing to him. In order for him to get to that thing that is holding us down, that weight that easily besets us, we need his help. And I don't know where I was. Yeah. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. And I think that I say this: that in a recent message, we were told that we can have victory, but we need to worship. Now, when, we, when we're down and, and holding these deep uh, um, burdens, we don't really feel like worshiping. We have to make ourselves worship. We need to worship. Why, why can't we worship God? Why do we hold back? What is wrong with God? God has everything. He is everything. He promises everything. He's the great I am. He's our healer. He's our savior. He's our deliverer. He's everything. Amen. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the creator. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. There's so much that we can worship. Let go of yourself. Let go of the burdens that we're carrying, amen, and turn to God and worship him. Turn to God and let him have our praise. Turn to God and let him have our worship, our honor, our respect, our all. He alone is worthy of all that praise and glory. We will get victory that we will be amazed with. We will get victory that we will be jumping and running and singing and praising the Lord. But don't pick it up again. Do not pick it up again. Leave it. It's there. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But I have some advice here tonight on what action we may take to overcome debilitating regrets. However, Let it be known that this advice is not from me, but as per the the words of Apostle Paul by inspiration of God. God is merciful, and part of the definition of mercy in my dictionary is compassion. In the book of Romans, in the first 11 chapters, Apostle Paul writes many of the mercies of God. And I detail only some of these here. One of the mercies is justification, free from guilt and the penalty of sin. Adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What did we do? What have I done? What did any of you do? What did my pastor do? He's the, he's the, the main honcho here. He's the big spiritual man. What did he do to say, Abba, Father? He did one thing. He submitted to God. And he allowed God to be in his life. We say, we cry, Abba, Father. But it's nothing that we have done or accomplished. His mercy. The mercy of grace. Not by good works. Otherwise, grace is no more. I didn't offend you. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Do you ever feel condemnation? Are you all born again and looking, living after the flesh and after the spirit? Are we all? Are we all? Are we all? But yet sometimes we feel condemnation. But the Bible has told us here in Hebrews chapter whatever, verse 5 and 6 or whatever it says, um, now, there is therefore now con- no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So we can stop, you know, Ourselves over the head and condemning ourselves, and you know what? We don't do that when we with all the people and everything like that. We do that when we're on our own and in a private little place, all alone, and then we start. We start doing that. Maybe you don't, but I know I do. Help in infirmity, yield your members servants to righteousness and holiness. Come in glory beyond any comparison. With any present sufferings, we feel the coming glory. No separation from the love of Christ. Ooh, Lord, I'm bad today. No separation from the love of Christ. Do you think I could have Sister Kathy, please? So when we get to chapter, to chapter 12 of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, a living sacrifice. We can get on the altar and we might be wriggling because we are alive, but we want to, God wants us to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let us give up and surrender ourselves and those debilitating regrets to God. Let us cast our burdens of regret unto Jesus, and by Jesus we can get victory, deliverance, and peace. Don't forget that our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we can't have an altar call because of our our masks tonight, but wherever we are, could we stand please? And we can pray, we can dance, we can cry, we can worship. Whatever you feel to do, you can praise, you can get... (coughs) lost in your praise for God, can give it all to God. Give it all to God. Let God take our burdens. Let God give us victory tonight. Amen.